Welcome to episode 98 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton, and we are coming to you after a tough series loss against the New York Yankees. Normally, our, you know, our, show, our weekly show isn't sort of a, just a straight-up recap of the series that was, because you guys all saw it, but there is so much in this series to comb through, a little bit more than usual. I mean, there's the result. I think, you know, we can both agree... Not great for the Blue Jays. Not what you want. Uh, losing a series, a four-game series at home to the Yankees. But I think what people want to talk about, ruminate about, think about, is just all the weirdness that went down in this. So I think we could kind of go in chronological-ish order, and we'll start with the big one. Stoughton, where are you on uh, on Glancegate now that you've had some days to think <laughs> about it? Uh, pretty much the same place as I was at the start, which was, you know, the Blue Jays need to tighten their stuff up, which they which they clearly did. Uh, you know, I oh man, I drew the ire of a lot of Yankees fans online uh, by making jokes about Jeter or Jeter uh, Judge cheating um, here after you know during Thursday's game. Um, but like, no, he was he like clearly someone was signaling something that was being tipped from the from the field. It was not you know the surreptitious electronic cheating that we uh, that we know and hate. Um, and you know, uh, uh, Jay Jackson admitted that much, right? So, um, it sort of sparked a lot of drama and, uh, and it was sort of quiet on Wednesday. We saw Aaron Boone, there were clips going around of him, uh, <laughs> telling Pete Walker to sit the fuck down on Thursday. Uh, and, and, and you know, there, that was, that was a nice little, you know, it was all kind of bullshit, but it was a nice little, uh, addition to the, the fun of the series, all the drama that kind of went went on around it but as for the like as for the, like is he cheating or not thing like no he you know the jays need to, to do better to make sure that their signals aren't getting picked up yeah i i would generally agree with that i, I think it is interesting that just how these lines are drawn where it, it's totally fine for you know the opposing coaching staff or someone in the dugout whatever it is to sort of pick up on something that's being tipped and try and relay something but you know if it's a guy with binoculars if it's electronics it's not allowed and i understand why that distinction is in place but it is like it is very unusual to have a sport where there's this you know kind of underhanded thing that is you know championed to an extent people get credit for being smart being good with this kind of stuff stealing signs whatever you want to call it um and it, yeah like you said it seems like there was multiple angles on the blue jays like jay jackson said that he was tipping pitches that was affecting it there's a lot of talk about Alejandro Kirk and the way he was setting up and whether he's giving away locations a little bit early. Mm -hmm. um, I found myself combing through video and I didn't put any tweets out about this because it was one of those situations where I didn't kind of feel sure about enough about a conclusion to want to put it out into the world. But this is a nice place for uh, random speculation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so I was looking at a lot of the video and... When it was, when Manoa was starting, there was the way that he would set up is you'd set up like very kind of straight up on his knee. This is great audio, very easy for everyone <laughs> to imagine. But like he would it, he would have a very sort of up and down stance whenever it was a fastball or a changeup, and then when it was a slider, he would flare his leg out a little bit to try and kind of get into a different type of receiving posture in order you know probably to frame that pitch at the bottom of the zone up. You know you'd think you'd have to do the same thing for the change up but maybe not because it's not moving horizontally as, as much and it's easier to contain whatever it was i find myself wondering a little bit about that because it is the sort of thing that you don't necessarily have to look back at if you're a hitter you could notice in your peripherals or to be honest you could hear like the way he was moving physically was different uh for the slider and the other pitches which i thought was interesting 
Um, but again, like without being an expert on the limits of human peripheral vision or what, how much sound it was making, I couldn't say anything definitive about it. But it, it, it does seem clear that there's something going on with, uh, with Kirk that they need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you were picking up on that as well. And, and you know, uh, credit to the Yankees. Like, I, uh, you know, nobody wants to hear that after that fucking series. But, like, this is something that Jays fans, I mean, you know, nobody cares when you're in the moment or, or you know, you get a chance to bash uh, the hated rival. Um, but, like, Cito Gaston was a master of this stuff and his teams, and that's something that they talked about a lot, about 92 and 93 and all those glory years, was that, you know, he helped guys and was and was good himself, and, like, that was a team that was watching Fortels and used it to their advantage as, you know, as been, has been a part of the sport forever. Um, I, you're right about the blurred lines about, you know, the Bobby Thompson guy, the, guy with, the, with the binoculars. Is, it's odd, that, you know, where the draw, you draw the line, but I think, you know, uniform personnel on the field picking up stuff or even in the dugout uh, is different than, yeah, being signaled from outside, uh, be it electronically or otherwise. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think that like, that's if the Yankees, you know, if the, the, as demonstrated by the eye glances that everybody saw, uh, you know, the, the Yankees are attuned to this stuff. um, And, uh, and, and it just, it, it makes the onus more on the blue Jays and everybody else that plays them to uh, not be susceptible to it. Yeah, it being the Yankees does add a layer of context, right? Like because you know, you saying they are tuned to this kind of stuff is pretty euphemistic <laughs> in terms yeah. of the reputation they might have around the league. And then we see with Herman, you know, the the phrase "the stickiest hand I've ever felt" was <laughs> was incredibly inadvisable. Like it it comes from a place of naivety, like naivete. It's it's not. <laughs> Like I don't think he's trying to to fire a joke off in the scenario. It's, it was very funny that that's the way it came out. But yeah, to have you know these sticky stuff incidents are pretty rare. Like we had you know we had that crackdown, and then you know it went from front page news everywhere to not that big a deal because not a lot of guys were getting caught. And then suddenly, in the context of the series, a guy gets caught in a way that affects the game, and it just makes people think more and more about these Yankees teams that have not come under the same level of scrutiny as the Houston Astros. And I think, you know, for good reason, they don't have the same level of smoke and gun, but there is, you know, there's this kind of reputation and I'll be honest, like people hate the Yankees. And so when there's any reason to, uh, to think negatively about them, they don't need, you know, they don't need the red carpet ruled out for them. So that, that is, (laughs) that is part of it, right? That was very apparent in the crowd on Tuesday night. I assure you. Yes. So I, they're again, like it's, there's, there keep being various layers of context to the situation that make it different than if it were, you know, the Kansas city Royals and this were, you know, and neither team had any ambition of making the playoffs. And, you know, it was the sort of thing that would show up in an article that day and then it would fade. But now you've got the idea of like people, Oh, like it's going to be interesting when we see the Yankees again. And I know that, you know, the Blue Jays-Yankees thing is never, like, the Blue Jays are never going to be the Yankees' primary rival because the Red Sox are there, and that's just so ingrained. But it does feel like there's something building between these teams in a way that we rarely see just because the Red Sox are always there and just because traditionally, you know, the Yankees have been more successful than the Blue Jays and have not had to worry about them so much as they do in this little year in history. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's there's room in our hearts to to hate all sorts of teams, I think. Um, and uh, you're, you're right about, you know, the, the Herman thing and the, uh, and, and I think that's why Yankees fans, 
you know, events events of any team get super defensive and fragile about it when their team's accused of cheating. As uh, you know, as anybody who remembers the man in white stuff uh, can attest uh, about ourselves uh, here in this market. Um, but yeah, they really, uh, they, they, you know, the, the 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 phone call is coming from inside the house. I think a little bit because you, you know you can't, you know, you you can't be, you know, just hating every Astro and and, and booing George Springer. And I know the, the Yankees are not necessarily the ones who do that as much as some other teams, but they do quite a bit. And uh, and then to just have you know to have their their history and then to have this blow up in their faces, it's tremendously funny. Uh, I, like, you know, I, Herman was cheating. I mean, that's, they, they've made that very, very clear. That's, you know, that's fine. Get you, you know, the Jays should have taken better advantage, frankly, of, uh, him being booted from the game. Um, but you know, that's, it's a relatively mild, uh, uh, uh form of it, but there is, there, there is a line there and there are punishments there. I think there's punishments if you get caught peeking in on the catcher too. So that, you know, if that was part of it, that's you know maybe technically not right either. Though also, it, it, it's incumbent upon the team that's being uh, their signs are being stolen to like be like, hey, he's peeking in or whatever. Um, so you know, I don't know. It, it adds a wonderful backdrop, and you're right that they'll never be the number one rivals. But I, but uh, it, it is a little bit of a shame that we won't see the Yankees again until September. But I think that they'll everybody will remember. Uh, everybody will remember, you know, the, the Alcmanoa uh, cold stuff, and uh, it is building into a nice little bit of a rivalry, um, which hopefully lasts for a while before the stupid Orioles get too good. But uh, but yeah, the Red Sox kind of being not, you know, at the the peak of their window, shall we say, uh, even though they're they're going along fine enough. Yeah, they're doing fine. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think that absolutely does add to it for sure. Yeah, it, it feels like the window has been cracked open a little bit for this Blue Jays-Yankees thing. And as you say, this will be remembered. You know, when, when the Yankees come in in September, we're going to see all these replays of all the stuff that happened. The the whole, like, stickiest hand I ever felt, I'm not going <laughs> right. to not gonna harp on the phrasing, <laughs> but, like, if that's literally true, uh, that does see, you know, we talk about the Blue Jays needing to tighten yeah. up their stuff. Like, that's pretty ridiculous. Like, it, in terms of cheating, um, and it is cheating, and, you know, like you said, yeah. there are rules against it, and he'll be suspended, and he's not even appealing the suspension, and he says that's due to the team saying blah, 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 whatever. We don't need to litigate that. But it's pretty reckless and, and, and dumb way to cheat if it's this detectable by an umpire to the extent that he felt the need to go out of his way to say, oh, you, were, you weren't just cheating. You were cheating in the most obvious way I've ever seen. Like, that's basically what that phrase was. It's like, this guy <laughs> is cheating in the most blatant way, uh, most brazen way we've ever seen. So either it's just idiocy or it's just a uh, um, an indication of players feel like you know a lot guys aren't generally getting caught for this guys aren't generally getting suspended for this and maybe they're i don't know their their guard is down on the cheating that they're well, doing i think that that would be my guess absolutely because herman himself was the one who you know it was spotted being told to wash his hand off uh, uh a few weeks ago right so he uh you know i, I it does sort of imply that uh umpires are are giving guys a bit of a pass and i don't know if we've seen it in the spin rates i know everybody was looking at that at first you know especially when the band you know first came in and it was really you know sort of strictly enforced or more strictly enforced or you know well we don't know how well it's being enforced right now but uh but it, it certainly that's a thing that i know people have thought and, and uh and wondered about how teams are getting ahead of uh you know the umpires 
feeling of their of their pitcher's hands or whatnot, but like you know, finding different substances that that do the job or or come off more easily before you can get you know you get checked out or what. I mean, I mean, these are baseball teams. We've watched them operate for decades, and especially you know recently. I mean, any competitive advantage they can get, I think that they're going to be out there doing, and and that does speak to like how absurd it is that Herman uh, would have that would have that happen. Uh, especially after getting warned before, and then I think where was it the uh, who came in out at um, Ian Hamilton? Is that his name? I forget who was first in the parade, but uh, yeah. but like he so he's on the IL now. Yeah, Ian yeah. Hamilton was the guy who was after who came in, you know, as the emergency guy, and so that that sort of cascades. I think they mentioned that on the broadcast on Thursday here, but it sort of cascades, you know, the stupidity of what uh, of what he did there. Um, and yeah, the only reason I can think that 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 it would get to that point is that, yeah, a lot of guys are probably doing stuff and getting away with it. Before we move on from the Yankees shenanigans, and I mean, it's the next sentence I'm going to say is going to sound silly, and it is to an extent, but it's not as silly as it sounds. I do want to drill down on the shut up fat boy of it all. For one, it's very funny. That, <laughs> I, it's very funny that it was Brad Wilkerson, uh, Toronto Blue Jays legend. Indeed. Indeed. But, I just thought, and you know, maybe this is a little like you know, inside baseball. Or whatever. I just thought it was very weird that like we live in a society where this got like reported out. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> yeah. in a in a Twitter ecosystem, like I get it. People are gonna they see a manager yelling, and then they're like, "Oh wow, I can read his lips," and then like that becomes a thing. But then you have like real outlets like the Athletic, and I'm not coming at the individual people who work for that outlet or anything. I'm more commenting on just like, you know, this, the audience, there's a demand for this. The audience wants these pieces written and I understand why they're written, but it just, it seems like very funny to me that, uh, you know, in the past you would watch TV and it'd be like, oh yeah, that guy's yelling at the, you know, that's just, just normal baseball stuff, you know, managers and coaches doing some yelling. And now it's like, okay, we're, let's, uh, let's get a clip. Let's put it on Twitter and you're slowing it down. And then you're going to have real reporters drawing real salaries who are going to be like, okay, let's figure out who's the fat boy. And like, let's write a story about <laughs> it. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird microcosm of the, uh, I, like I said, I, there's a demand, like fans want to know everything these days. They want the fullest of access. And I guess this is a manifestation of that, but it's just like, it was, uh, you know, this is the sort of thing that does not happen, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And I found it very odd that like, that's a, that's a whole story. That's a whole thing that we're working well, on. You know the algorithm that tells you if you're getting enough, you know, selling enough subscriptions per piece. If it, you know, you gotta, you gotta feed it, right? So, uh, I'd love to see some, that'll get some extra eyeballs on it. No, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not blaming anybody for no, because uh, it was interesting, uh, and I, I don't know, yeah, to for it to just have disappeared in the ether would have been maybe even weirder, right? So, uh, yeah, nothing, uh, nothing untoward there. I would have absolutely done it myself, but uh, um yeah it is it is weird that it's just this like little particular thing but people get off on that stuff people love uh you know i don't know it's like it, it's like it's like wrestling almost right it's like you know the, we don't know we don't know who these people are but they got the they got our clothes on and they're yelling at guys with the with the the clothes of the people i'm supposed to dislike on and we're gonna we're just gonna i mean i know that's not really how anybody thinks about wrestling anymore it's all you know, you're it's like you're all thinking about the, the the fucking bottom line or whatever the fuck it is. People do think they enjoy about that. No, 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 no shame there. But uh, but yeah, it is. It, it it's just part of the spectacle. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, nothing. There's nothing like malicious about it unless you really want to do an eye rolly body shaming angle on it. But it seemed like Wilkerson took it all in good fun. 
Uh, uh, the, Yankees, just, the Yankees fans who, who you know, everybody commenting on the size of Blue Jays players really uh, got a kick out of that. But people, people who, yeah. I guess, have been on the internet for more than one day, but my, my replies would suggest otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there, obviously there's going to be exa- some exhausting stuff out there. I just thought it was just like, it was a weird uh, example of the, you know, the hyper-specific things that people are into and the way that just everyone is looking for that, the fullest possible access to the point that like one idle thing someone shouts, you know, even the, you know, the Boone thing today, like people are talking about that on Twitter, what he said to Pete Walker, and maybe we'll see a follow-up story about that. I don't know. Um, but moving to some of the more concrete stuff, a little bit lost in the wash of all the Yankees drama is just another fantastic outing from Chris Bassett. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's racking up the scoreless streak. Last time he gave up a run was, the, you know, the salad days of the Maple Leafs had just uh, advanced out of the first round. <laughs> um, I believe it was the day before that they did that. So, like, while people were celebrating that, if you can imagine that time in history, if you're, if you're a Toronto listener a lot of a lot of uh, people who like the jays are not from toronto and do not care about when the leafs advance but for those who are in toronto that's how long it's been since chris bass has given up a run when you look at and also he kind of gutted out that last outing as well which is impressive mm-hmm. and he made that great defensive play too when you look at what's happened with bassett since that just you know a truly disastrous first start that i don't think anyone was panicking about like oh this is a bad contract after one start but it was as bad as you could get since then he's got an era under two and now he's got this streak are we seeing something in particular or is this just kind of like the you know the best series of outcomes you can get with chris bassett over a particular period of time or is there something there and i and i know and we'll talk about this but he is a difficult guy to parse at times because it's so complex and there's so much going on but is there something in this yeah, this you know, we're talking about more than half a month worth of uh, scoreless ball right now. Yeah, you know, I would I would tend toward the latter, but mostly that's out of like laziness because like you say, it's so complex cuz you know, like uh, I, several times I've even, you know, just uh, just on a game to game basis trying to, you know, look at okay, what's his weapon against, you know, how does he approach left-handed hitters? How does he approach right-handed hitters? What about, you know, and it's just it's, it's all over the place. It's 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 constantly changing, which is uh which is a fun thing about it. I think, you know, to go back to like the panic aspect of it. Um you know, nobody was panicking right after that first start. Absolutely, uh, but you definitely and, and you know Brandon Belt. We had that same situation too. Though he's not out of the woods yet either. But uh, but you know, just the fact that he's an older pitcher, uh, I think I think adds to the fact. And a guy who doesn't throw you know especially hard isn't overpowering. So so you feel that the margins are thinner. Uh, we've sort of, we've seen that this year with Alec Manoa in terms of like where his velocity is and where his results have been. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I I don't know. I would love to say that this is you know we're gonna get a lot of this from Chris Bassett going forward. I think that would be great. I think that's possible. I mean, it's the guy the New York Mets gave uh, like won a hundred games last year and gave him him the ball in the playoffs, right? Like like I think they won hundred games. Whatever, they were good last year. Uh, and uh, you know, this is not like just some middle of the rotation kind of schlub. You know, he's he's as good as it kind of gets as far as you know as. Well, look, we could we could parse that, I guess, too. Like, is he a four? Is he three? Whatever. He's a very good pitcher. 
uh and you know i saw something it drives me up the wall stuff like this like i saw uh, like a tweet about barker and blair and barker like oh if they don't get all right that they, they can't make the playoffs i was like well yeah they of course they fucking can they, you know they would have said the same thing about jose barrios last year and they still did and didn't get him right uh and one of the reasons is because ross tripling stepped up and if you know if chris bassett can be you know a, a version of that a more expected i think version of that then uh then they're in a really good place with uh, with a couple of really good starters and and some guys who are uh, hanging in there uh, at the very least. Yeah, there's a couple a couple of things about Bassett that are interesting. Like you said, it, it is so complex, and I'm not going to pretend. I think that you can sort of follow it over the course of a single start sometimes, but to say, okay, here's what he's done over the last four games, it's unu- it's unusual that you're going to find a clean trend. Um, a couple of things though, recently is that his velocity is up a little bit recently, um, on that big, s- big talking point, uh, you know, coming out of spring yeah. as well. And the sinker is a little bit more frequent. So in fact, he's been mixing it up a little bit less, um, which is fine. Cause you know, arguably that's his best pitch. Although again, trying to identify his best pitch as a fraught exercise. Cause some of them are going to be better on a per pitch basis, but he only uses them like 8% of the time. So is that really his best pitch? Uh, it's a rabbit hole. But he, but the velocity has been a little bit better. There's been a little bit more sinkers. Well, coming into the season, I thought there was serious reason to be concerned with him and home runs. And it, you know, it's funny because he came out in his first start and gave up four home runs yeah. in three point one innings. Um, but I really figured that you know he had been in Oakland, he had been in New York, a couple ballparks that really keep the ball in the yard. And if you'd looked at his home runs, home road splits, they were pretty profound. And particularly when it came to giving up home runs. And you know what? You know, got to give the guy credit. He's given up two home runs since that first start, and he's had five starts at uh, at Rogers Center so far, and only one home run allowed in those starts. And you no, know, to be fair, you know, it's it's way too early to make a proclamation on this because Rogers Center has changed, as you'll recall, as people uh, who have been to the parks uh, already will know. Uh, it has played as a, a pretty extreme pitcher's park so far. Again, it's like it is way too few games. Uh, you know, we're talking about less than 20 games. So I don't want to say like, wow, I'm going to take the credit away from him because really it play, it's a pitcher's park now. We don't know yet. Right. Um, he deserves a lot of credit. I'll say that. With him, the walks have been a concern at times. Like he's not going to strike out tons of guys. So when he's having those four walk outings, which has happened a few times this year, that's a little bit of a worry. And yeah, the expected numbers are still a little bit nastier than the uh, ERA. The BABIP is still low. There's some things that I could envision going worse from, for him from here. But yeah, I don't know. I think out of the gate, he's been, with the exception of that early velocity wobble and that tough, you know, that tough initial start, like he's been what you expected him to be. Like he's been. That you know that the crafty righty, the veteran guy who gives you his all start in, start out, and maybe it's smoke and mirrors, maybe it's not, but the end result is that runs stay off the board. Like that's what he's been for the last three, four years, and that's what he's been as a blue jay. Yeah. No, it's uh it's it's good. I'm glad somebody's got it working right. Because uh a couple of the other guys less so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I think Barrios looked good tonight uh, or Thursday, depending on when you're listening. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge can just hit massive bombs off you. That's the sort of thing that can happen <laughs> when to you, anyone. When you throw a middle middle, which is like every single one of the ones that he's that he's hit this series was uh, not a great pitch. 
Yeah, but so he's a fraud, is what I'm. He's a fraud. I know. I find that really funny because people will say like, "Oh, whatever." Like he's just hitting meatballs. I'm like, every batter gets meatballs. Like, I think people don't yeah. realize how often pitchers miss their spots. Like, yeah. it is the it is the great hitters who just crush the meatballs at a higher rate than the other people. That's not all they do, but that's a big part of being Aaron Judge is just punishing every time guys do that. So. Uh, I think that that's a little silly. Aaron Judge is, yeah. is incredible. Uh, no, I mean if you look at any you know, uh, you know pitch pitch maps, uh, you, a lot of, a lot of pitches over the course of a game catch the heart of the plate. Yeah, and you know sometimes by design. There's actually I forget I read it fan graphs a couple of months ago. Like uh, there's a trend up for people throwing pitches over the middle of the plate because I think it was it's about stealing strikes early in the count and guys are just you know there's always been that risk reward for swinging for the first pitch and generally speaking i think the consensus is that guys are a little bit more passive than they need to be in those positions and so guys will just pipe pitches because they the value of stealing a strike is so high you know mm. 01 versus 10 is a huge difference but that's uh, yeah, that was not those pitches that, that was know. not those pitches that's <laughs> yeah that's neither here nor there i don't need to do a, a massive speech in defense of meatballs that's fine um <laughs> You know, Bassett obviously doing really well, but there are guys on the other side of that. And I think we got to do a little bit of a panic meter for a couple of them right now. One being George Springer, uh, because he's a guy who we've in the past generally just worried about health and just assumed everything else would take care of itself. And entering Thursday, he had the old 74 WRC plus through 41 games. Like, you know, that's a quarter of a season of really nasty production and uh the other guy i want to throw up on the board and i guess you can pick whichever one tickles your fancy but i i want to put a little bit of a spotlight on alejandro kirk because the contact quality with him is just abysmal right now and i know that he's got this huge walk rate and that's kind of keeping some of his offensive stats on the respectable side um, you know, but I was looking into it today for a piece I was writing about how, you know, maybe Jansen deserves a little more time than Kirk right now. And uh his expected Woba is on contact is lower than overall, at least going into Thursday, but I think it'll carry over after the game. Nothing dramatic happened. Like I've literally never seen that before, where a hitter projects to do worse offensively when he hits the ball. Like that's an incredibly <laughs> like that is yeah. that is you know even in all of the Kevin Biggios that ever Kevin Biggioed I don't think that's happened and like that is it and again you know it's a small sample size it's a weird thing but you know watching the game too like he's just he's not driving anything and he doesn't have to be this massive slugger but he also doesn't run at all so traditionally speaking for him to get hits for him to do offensive damage he's got to you know, he's got to get get the bat out and put some exit velocity on it and spray those hard line drives around. Uh, and if he's not doing that, you kind of think at a certain point, pitchers are going to get more aggressive with him too, the way they have with Biggio this year, where his strikeout or his walk rate has totally cratered, something that was predicted forever and just never happened and suddenly it did. I'm not saying that, that that's an extreme scenario. That's like the worst, worst, worst case scenario for what could happen to Kirk, but uh it is uh, i think it's dicier even than people maybe initially think about because the walk rates are keeping some of those numbers respectable yeah that's probably fair i you know uh 
I'm not jumping off that bandwagon just yet uh, because you know we have seen the contact. We have seen you know him spraying line drives. He can do that. And we've seen times where he's been a little bit in between. Uh, I think maybe to start last year before he really went on a tear. He was kind of uh, not doing anything, uh, as I recall. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that you have to watch. And, and, and I think it's important to not have you know, looked at the best of him last season and think, okay, well, yeah, that's a, that's a ceiling, but like, you know, that that's maybe not going to be the way that it is all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, another good parallel with Biggio, who, you know, came out of the gate and was really good in 2019 and, and in 2020 when he was healthy. Uh, and, you know, just expecting that to continue forever. Uh, not not smart and also you know kirk was you know a little you know that was the story was he was a little worn down last year uh this year maybe he missed a bit of spring training but that was so long ago that i don't think that that's a uh a factor so yeah i i I think that that's definitely something that uh bears monitoring um and in terms of like giving some more playing time to danny jansen i mean he was really cold to start the year too so maybe that that's just going to be a natural thing where uh you know they're just going to ride the hot hand a little bit more um from time to time, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that sort of start to start to happen. You know, once guys get healthy enough that uh, they don't have to use the catchers at DH. Yeah, I mean, right now they have to use both of them, which is, uh, I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Generally speaking, you know, when Kirk has this, you know, these amazing strikeout rates and walk rates, his floor should be relatively high. Like, it does give mm-hmm. him a lot of grace to figure out the contact stuff. But, you know, right now... His uh, launch average launch angle is one point six degrees. Like he's just, you know, he's just pounding everything to the dirt. Worse than we've seen with Vladdy. That doesn't mean that he's doomed by any means, but he's clearly cold in a way that perhaps even we haven't seen before. Although there were, yeah, I think that's, I agree with that. There yeah. was a time last year where he was in a rut with extra, like he just couldn't get an extra base hit. But I think at this point you'd settle for sort of any kind of hit, and he's not doing it. But I don't know. Like Springer is is also an interesting case because uh, we keep telling ourselves that Springer, or not telling ourselves, but we keep sort of again believing that it's you know it's a durability only thing with him, and kind of forgetting that he's getting older too. And his the strength of his contact has kind of been creeping down for a few years now. And he has that we talked about before. He had that big max exit velocity this year one of his best ones so maybe it's not like an all hope is lost situation but it's been odd it's been odd seeing him (laughs) really not hit the ball and when was that one and how many how many others that are close to it are there right i guess is the becomes the question the more (laughs) the more the uh uh, the season wears on and the more of that data that that piles up because the average exit velocity obviously is not is not so hot and he has had a lot of you know a lot of weird flares and stuff, maybe more than usual. And, and you know, I mean, that's maybe that's maybe that's just me thinking about opening day. But I think there have been a few, it, it, like, an inordinate number of uh, softer hits for him, uh, which I think I noticed because he's hit the ball hard at people quite a lot as well. Uh, but that you know that stuff gets baked into the contact numbers too, and is not you know those those ones rocketed right at the third baseman. Uh, those are still a part of that calculation, and it's and it's still you know spitting out a result that's not uh what you would like to see so yeah i i it's it's way too early before i'm ready to contemplate you know george just flat out getting old uh <laughs> you know we kind of see it but I, I i still want to believe that you know the durability thing is more the concern and that when he's healthy he'll be great but uh this is the first stretch uh, i think we've seen of him of this length as a blue jay where how maybe even as an astro i i, I, I didn't really follow the week to week in the same way 
But uh, yeah, it's unusual for him to be, you know, sitting on a 74 weighted runs created plus across, you know, we're closing in on two months worth of a season. Yeah, and also the cost of that is is higher for him because they're giving him tons and tons of play. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't. It's not like they should yeah. give up on leading him off or whatever. Like, this is a huge thing. But um, the reality is that he hits in front of Bichette, who's been, you know, their most consistent offensive force. And that's not to, you know, just because Matt Chapman has been a little bit down in recent weeks. Not that he won't bounce back, but... You know, Bichette is just, you know, he's a metronome. He's been a metronome all year long. And so having Springer hit in front of him and waste all these at-bats, you're, yeah, it's not like there's a there's a solution where, oh, you got to bench Springer, you got to drop him in the lineup. It's probably not going to happen. But it just means that, like, the longer he slumps, the more it costs the offense. And the Blue Jays' offense is sort of middle of the pack right now. Like, going into Thursday, they were, I believe, 12th in run scoring and 18th in home runs. Like, it, it is, it's not the offense that this team is used to seeing, and he's a significant part of that. And also, to answer your question, because I did do a search here on the fly of, like, what are the other hard-hit <laughs> balls by George Springer? Like, he's got, other than this one, the 115.9, he's got four other ones at 110 or more so you know over two months that's not great and that the big one came on april 14th but i don't think there's some massive inciting force since there also there hasn't been one over 105 since uh may 7th so that's you know that's a decent amount of time of him not hitting the ball uh the way you'd like to see it hit but like like I said before, like, is there a solution here? I don't really think so. I think you just have to kind of keep rolling with it and hope for the best because, I mean, we'll get to that too, but there's not a lot of alternatives sitting around here. When you think of yeah. guys who are struggling, <laughs> you end up riding these guys because uh, no one is knocking on the door. That's true. I mean, though. I mean, not that when, anyone when would. <laughs> no one is going to, like, knock on the door yeah. from AAA and take Springer's job. Yeah. We're talking about Biggio here, for instance. Yeah, <laughs> but but no, that's true too. But but, but just before we move on from Springer, uh, yeah, and you know, as you're as you're speaking about this, and I was asked this in a, a thing I did this week as well. Like, you know, do you drop him in the lineup? I don't know if that's the solution, and I think it's maybe complicated by the fact that you know every time he hits a leadoff home run, oh, they're oh, getting closer to that record. You know, that's uh, I suspect that's something that that's meaningful to him and get drop it him to third or whatever, which might be a more ideal spot for him uh, at the moment, at least. Uh, probably is a tough conversation, uh, especially for you know the limited uh, change it would actually probably bring. So, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of just going to tough it out with him for uh, for as long as you can and hope that it gets better. And and you know the track record says that it will, but the track record of the age curve also says that. You know, that's no guarantee. Yeah, with with Kirk, you have the idea of like, okay, let's throw Jansen a 60-40 or 65-35 share, uh, you know, for the next two weeks and, until we see something different. With, with Springer, there really is no solution. It's uh, yeah. He's George Springer, and generally speaking, you're thankful that you have George Springer, and this is just one of those times when you aren't, which is fine. Yeah. Um there in theory could be a solution on the Biggio thing. I the Biggio thing the discourse it really felt like Wednesday night was a big big uh <laughs> moment for the Biggio discourse. It sure did. 
when he gets uh, you know thrown out in that double play in a huge spot. It is a tough one. You know, it's a soft liner by Kirk. It looked like it was going over the infield to me, like when it first came off the bat. You know, Biggio should have better instincts than I do, uh, especially when he's on the field, right by where it's getting hit. Uh, you know, you really don't want to risk anything in that scenario because the value of coming home is, you know, maybe less than how bad an out could be in those types of, like just getting doubled up, obviously is terrible. You don't want to put that even remotely on the table. At the same time, like has Biggio been a problematic base runner in the past? Like, have we questioned his instincts? Not really. I think people just kind of pissed at how bad he's been. And that was a bad play that could have happened to anyone. But then he comes up to the plate in another big spot as a result of going to the game. And it's just one of these empty flyouts that doesn't have a chance of landing. And he's got that, the swing, sometimes it just looks like he's scooping ice cream. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was sort of a, it was just a signature gross Kevin Biggio batted ball for lack of a better term. Uh, and his numbers are, they look a lot like they did last time when he got sent down, but there isn't a lot of momentum for that. It doesn't seem to be. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe it'll happen in the next couple of days, but you don't hear a lot about it. And it just seems like there's no option right now. Like, like he, because he literally plays a couple positions, um, because he can run a little bit, that's enough to keep him on the big league team right now because, like, they don't even really have people who can do that any better necessarily. Uh, when you'd think at the AAA level, you would have someone who could come out and like, you know, the Vinny, the Vinny, give you the Vinny Capra a couple of weeks where it's just like, oh, this is someone we could in theory put into a game. It just doesn't feel like they feel like that about anyone or they'd be inclined to make some kind of move because the bench, the degree to which the bench of giving them nothing is pretty impressive and the bar is not high for what a bench needs to give you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, and, and I feel for Biggio uh, it, because it definitely, I mean, Look, things are going real sideways on him a bit here, and I think you know the the sending him down. I, like I'm not a I, I I don't like doing the tea leave reading and, and talking about guys' confidence or whatever. But you know, uh, it it it's it feels like it's snowballing a little bit, and you know, seeing that on Wednesday night, just the the uh, the the passivity and the 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 combination of that with just how things are going at the plate and it must weigh on a person honestly who's like okay i feel like i've got one foot out the league at this point uh which uh you know <laughs> without that name he he might and that's that's you know that's maybe on the harsh side because he did have really you know really a, that breakout year in double a 2019 in the big leagues 2020 you know the shortened season but he hit really well when he was up then um you know, he's, you can't coast forever on that, but he was good. He's a perfectly useful player last year as well. Like, not he wasn't a great player, but he was a like a one point three WAR player or whatever in a part time role. I think that's higher than Whit Merrifield last year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, I haven't checked in a, a, a at least a week, but probably two weeks. You know, how's Otto Lopez doing? Like, I don't know. There was there was some thought I think at the time and maybe at the start of the year, like uh when nathan lucas got the job like oh you know you want you want Otto lopez to keep getting at bats and i'm like i don't know if he's we're at that point with him in terms of development it's kind of like you're you're a taxi squad uh quad a kind of type guy i think uh which will, right now would look better than biggio i think in a lot of spots but also speaking of nathan lucas like they don't have anything for him to do either right like like uh you know, there, there's just uh 
they're, they're, you can't just throw relievers, you know, into the bullpen anymore. You can't carry like 15 relievers, which, uh, you know, probably for the best, but, uh, but it does force, you know, it, it does sort of shine a light on, uh, where the position player situation is at. And, um, and yeah, like it, it's just, there's, there's not a lot there, especially, I mean, you mentioned Capra, who's of course gone because he went for Tyler Heineman in that trade to the Pirates. Yeah, big, big transaction. And I apologize to all, <laughs> to all the listeners that we didn't uh, give a good segment over to that transaction. <laughs> we also didn't give a segment. And I'm I'm saying right now we're not going to to Thomas Hatch um, potentially coming back and uh, making a big difference with the squad because uh, I've been done with Thomas Hatch for a while now. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, <laughs> you know, you've got a bench and like right now the bench is one dude. The bench is whoever is not catching. Or if you've got both yeah. guys in the lineup, it's whoever, you know, is the odd person out. But Espinal's not giving you anything and, and it's sort of fine. Like he's, you know, the backup shortstop and whatever, all kinds of infielder and in theory, he'll play good defense for you and I believe he'll hit some lefties at some point. I don't think you're that worried about him, but you know, Biggio's performance standard has just been, has been really low. Like you said, Lucas doesn't have anything to do. And yeah, right now they don't have guys to bring up. Like you bring up Horwitz. He's hitting kind of decently at the, at the triple A level. He's also kind of a primary first baseman who has basically no power. Um, Maybe that's unfair, (laughs) but you know, he's got three home runs in 78 triple A games in his career. Uh, you know, this is not a guy who like that's just not a profile that generally ends up in the big leagues. And I know that he's got the really good play discipline and he can handle a bat and um he might be able to overcome that. But if he does overcome that, he'll be you know, he'll be breaking the mold a little bit because that's not what you generally see. And so you've got yeah, you've got two four players on your bench in theory, uh, two roster spots, like that's a decent percentage of your position players, and you're getting nothing from them and yeah, it's easy to say, like, you know, go around the league, make a, tr- make a minor trade, do a tr- uh, waiver transaction um, uh, without offering a concrete example of what they should do. But yeah, that's kind of what I think, you know, go around the <laughs> league, make a minor trade, do a waiver transaction. Like, uh, you know, this is a it's a win now team. Every uh, back counts, every game counts. And there's this section of the roster that is offering, you know, negative or negligible value. And there are guys out there who maybe they can't help, but like, you know, try Jordan Luplo again, like not necessarily him individually, just like a him, just like take a shot on somebody else. Go find Socrates Brito. Like it might not work if it's Socrates Brito, it won't work, but like something (laughs) in that vein, like those options are available. There's a reason why the statistic is called wins above replacement is because the concept of replacement player, while it's not completely literal, like those guys are kicking around. Like, try and find a replacement player who can be hot for 23 at-bats before sucking. Like, because the status quo is it's just no good. It's not a huge issue. It's not what's going to hold them down more than, you know, Manoa, for instance, being unable to get on track. That's a bigger problem. Springer being unable to get on track from the leadoff spot. That's a bigger problem. But that doesn't mean that the little problem doesn't matter either. Well, yeah, sometimes... Uh... Sometimes Kevin Biggio is up and it's a big spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could have somebody else, literally anybody else, might uh, might give you more at this point. Unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, that's the our big time 
super wise, insightful advice uh, to the Blue Jays. Go get, go get an anybody else. Do something. Yeah, the classic do something. <laughs> Except when they do do the kind of things that I'm advocating for, often you get the like, oh, cheapo, cheapo. Oh, of course. Or oh, dumpster diving yeah. again. Oh, this is going to fix everything. Yeah, well, you know what? Dumpster diving <laughs> can potentially fix this small problem. So I yeah. absolutely get in that dumpster, guys. That's what I'm recommending. <laughs> Uh, before we get out of here, weekend series, we are finally going to see the Baltimore Orioles and find out if they're frauds or if they're good. Uh, I don't know. It's funny because like, you kind of look at them afar and you look at the record and you say, damn, you know, they've got these young players. They must be, you know, it must be a different team and it's all young guys and they've figured it out and they're scary. And, you know, you know, Gunnar Henderson is may- is potentially a thing and he's, you know, filling in full time for the first time. Rutschman is getting his first full season in. But it's largely, I don't know, it's its more the same group maybe than you'd think. And I don't remember in September being terrified of the Orioles. So uh, I think that, you know, the record is obviously good. They're, they're playing well, but maybe people can, uh, the bullpen is really good. I'll say that. The, the, yeah. the bullpen is really nasty. It kind of feels like the, you know, the, the 2016 Cleveland Indians scenario where, you, you're like, oh, you better get some runs in these first five, six innings here or else you're going to be in trouble. But when you think of the guys that you're going to face, like the starters aren't scaring anyone. You know, Kyle Gibson, the Blue Jays will see. They'll see Grayson Rodriguez, obviously a very, very high-end talent. Um, hasn't pick, put it together early in his MLB career. Could easily come out and pitch, you know, eight scoreless innings against the Blue Jays just because, you know, he's super good at, and that's the sort of thing that can happen. But it hasn't happened yet. And then you've got Dean uh, Kramer, Kramer. Uh, yeah, I think it's Kramer. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the pitcher is not very good. Yeah, four ninety four ERA, six eighty six expected ERA. We've seen him before. You know, probably in the just a guy mold. So I don't know. The more I was looking at Orioles stuff today, the more I felt like this team potentially wasn't as scary as the record suggests. You know, maybe not like the you know the Pittsburgh Pirates before, where it's like, oh, the Blue Jays are going to play the Pirates, and the Pirates are leading the NL Central, but we all know the Pirates are trash. I don't think that's where we are with the Orioles, but um, th- I just think it's easy to look at their record and know that they have some of these young players coming up and sort of assume that it's all come together, and I'm not sure that that's a fair assessment uh, of where they're at as a franchise. That's probably right. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what I want to believe. Uh, because, yeah, when you look at the pitching, uh, absent the bullpen, which you're right, is, is, uh, is pretty scary. Uh, and it, it is. It's what, that's what these guys were last year. But they were really good last year. And, and part of that was a bit of smoke and mirrors. And part of that was, you know, once they started bringing some of that young talent up, uh, you know, it really did sort of work for them last year. And I expected them to fall back to earth. I thought that it was, you know shameful that they uh that they did go out and try to spend any money this winter like i thought that you know like they imagine where they could be if they actually like brought in you know like i, I mean i don't know how who you're gonna who's, who they're signing at this stage uh you know they need their ryu kind of guy right i mean i don't know if that's how the the front office there is gonna is gonna operate or uh, the ownership is gonna Ry- let them operate ryu's getting healthy soon if they want a ryu yeah. there might be one available <laughs> <laughs> this, this is true um but yeah uh you know credit to them they've they've you know it's not just that they've beaten up on bad teams too they've played really well against some really good teams uh i don't fear dean kramer i don't you know rodriguez obviously yeah that's that's a that's a problem and it will be for a long time by the looks of it uh the lineup's really good though too right and 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 uh you know mullins mountcastle and uh 
Well, I don't believe the Ryan Mountain Castle is destined to destroy the Blue Jays at every turn <laughs> thing. Like it's he's someone who whose name means something to Blue Jays fans, Orioles fans, and nobody else. That's true. And man, I would love for that to change <laughs> if we could just never have to talk about it. But I had to mention Ryan Mountcastle. I mean, noted Blue Jays killer. He's got um, a 102 WRC plus this year as a first baseman. <laughs> wow, he's like ba- he's be. basically a replacement player. That's about to go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it could creep up into the one tens. With a um, big series. But yeah, I don't know. They seem like they can hit. They, you know, they they, they 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 tailored their their fence to their stupid uh, philosophy of not paying for pitching, and um, you know, uh, I, it's a it could it could not go great for the Jays, which combined with the Yankees series here. And the you know the looming trip to the trop, uh, yeah, it could be in a weird little spot there by the time we uh, we all meet again next week. Yeah, this is definitely an important. It's an important series. It, they can really kind of claw their way up the AL East by you know beating the Orioles. I mean, sweeping the Orioles, obviously, but even beating them a couple times would make a big difference. Uh, quick, it's a, it's insane. So it, it's like it's insane. Like they were talking. I think Buck and uh, and Dan were talking about it on the broadcast on Thursday here. Like, like oh, got a big big chance here. Both the Orioles and the Rays lost, and it's like it's May. Yeah, like, we're talking about the Orioles. Like, but it also does. You know, every game is like it, it's mean, so tight. It's it's it, not I, wrong. I it feels yeah. it feels discordant. We're just we're not used to hearing that, but it does. Yeah. You know, it does seem like it kind of is this wire to wire race, and so. You know, I think people treating it as such uh, is not probably going to be good for their mental health necessarily, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's not inaccurate. And it's also, I don't know, maybe it'll lend uh, more of an air of excitement to the season. Not that I think that it's lacking excitement. I do want to give a quick shout out to Ryan Mountcastle because he went 0 for 5 tonight and his WRC plus is actually down to 96. So uh, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually worse than I thought. Um, but yeah, you know, you never know what will happen when he comes to Roger Center. We will leave you with that. Thanks for listening to episode 98 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week, uh, subscribing, giving us ratings, reviews, all that kind of stuff is stuff that we appreciate. And we'll be with you for episode 99, creeping towards triple digits next week. 